Hello everyone and welcome to episode 33 of Own the Road with Auto Trader, where we make car stuff simple for Canadians. My name is Jody Lai and I'm the editor-in-chief of Auto Trader. And I am Dan Alika, Auto Trader's road test editor. Is Diesel dead, Dan? Eh, uh, I mean probably. Yeah, so here's a newsflash. We talk about EVs a lot on this show, but both Dan and I drive diesel cars. We do. Which I think is kind of hilarious. Um, so in this episode, I don't. I love my diesel. I love my diesel too. And we're going to go over why we love our diesels in just a bit. So in this episode, we're going to go over uh, the pros and cons of diesel cars, why they never really caught on here, but they were kind of popular in other parts of the world. And we're going to answer the question, is diesel dead? Um, which I think is a pretty obvious conclusion, but we're going to go through it anyway. Um, and this idea came to me because I recently uh, went on a road trip to New York City. So I drove from Toronto to Newark and I and then I took the train to New York City because mostly I didn't want to drive in New York City because it's yeah, crazy it's, there. It's, it's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. So but we drove about 1400 kilometers and I spent less than 100 bucks in gas. Yeah, it's really uh the efficiency is like off the charts. And that's one of the biggest uh, pluses of having a diesel car is that the highway efficiency is unbeatable. So during that trip to New York, it was mostly highway, but you know, some back roads and stuff. I was getting 5.1 liters per hundred kilometers. That's like hybrid good. Oh yeah. I did during the, the pandemic when the lockdowns were going on, like in the early days, Becky and I just wanted to get out. So we went for like this 800 kilometer round trip just wherever we went and got fish and chips and sat by the water and it was it was a nice day and i you know there weren't many other vehicles on the road most of the roads we were on were like you know 70 or 80 kilometer an hour speed limits so i just was very strategic used cruise control a lot uh, and did, you know, 85 in an 80 zone kind of thing. And I averaged, manually calculated it. I averaged 3.9 liters per hundred kilometer. Was That's away. insanely good. Yeah. Here I was thinking I was doing good at 5.1. Yeah. It just goes to show you, right? It's like once you find that sweet spot yeah. of efficiency, it's it can be incredible. But the flip side is, yes, of course, the emissions are, you know, there are more kind of harmful emissions uh, from a diesel than even a equivalent gas-powered vehicle. Right, um, and it's a little bit different from my car and your car because your car is like one generation older than my car. Uh, my car uses diesel exhaust fluid, which helps clean those emissions uh, to basically be equal with the gas-powered car, which is really great. Um, but it's like captured. So mine does the mine just has like a scrubber in yeah. it that every once in a while uh, it cleans out this particulate filter. Um, yeah, yours uses fluid and, and like def, it's that urea, whatever they call it. Yeah. And it and it basically just like it flushes the exhaust, it captures you know, it it captures the particulates in the liquid. So I mean, you know, yeah, and some people said that was a big negative of having a diesel car. Yeah. But for me, it wasn't really a big deal because, you know, a jug of it costs between 20 and 30 bucks at a Canadian Tire or whatever. Um, I usually fill it up uh, every 10,000 kilometers or so. Yeah. So it's really not that big of a deal to me. Um, to me, the efficiency is way, way more worth it. And when I bought my car, uh, diesel fuel was a lot cheaper than gas, like significantly cheaper. So that was a big reason why I bought it. These days, that difference, they're a lot closer in price. And sometimes time, diesel yeah. is more expensive oh, than man. gas. And <laughs> I remember that happening when 
you know, when I was a kid, but obviously prices were a lot different. Like I'm talking, you know, back when, when gas was like 60 cents a liter, diesel was usually whatever, let's say five cents less. Uh, sometimes it would be a couple cents more, but yeah, by and large, it's been the more affordable option, but they just never took off in North America. Yeah. And so I think that the reason why they were never really popular here is because they had a really bad reputation for, cause the older diesels were like loud and stinky and they had a lot of like, you know, black smoke coming out of them. And so they got a really bad reputation, but you know, technology advances and it got to the point where like none of those were real issues anymore. Yeah, there, you know, some brand, GM built some really bad like small diesels back in the day, but the same thing happened with turbos, right? Yeah. GM kind of like rushed into building turbocharged engines and they were junk. And then it took a, a long time for people to, to become comfortable buying turbocharged gas motors from GM's brand because yeah. it was like ooh like it was a new thing you know they were learning they were well I think days. they rushed you know they yeah. the, the development was rushed for sure um, and it yeah it didn't do any favors that they were loud and clattery they take a long time because you know they use cast iron engine blocks they take a long time to to warm up because they just capture you know the the cold affects them more deeply than than an aluminum block uh, and on top of that, since they don't use spark plugs, they use glow plugs in the wintertime, they can be very grumpy and troublesome to start. Right. Modern diesels don't really have that Not much so of a bad. problem. Yeah. You know, when you turn it on, they're like a little bit louder and whatnot, but I don't think they're any, they're not really deal breakers for me. Um, but these days, you know, so stepping back a little bit, diesels were extremely popular in Europe. Um, and they never really caught on here. And part of the reason why they were so popular in Europe is because over there they had very high taxes on gas and not on diesel. And so for a lot of people over there, it was just like, oh, it makes so much more sense because it's more affordable. But that was an efficiency reduction measure or a, a, like a um, uh, emissions reduction measure, sorry. Right. Because especially back then, you know, gas cars weren't as efficient as they are now correct um so it was like hey how do we incentivize people to to move away from gas burning vehicles if we put them in you know price them into diesels right because because the emissions aren't the same as they are with a gas power car i mean relatively um but it's like you know more like less atmospheric harm and more like personal harm, right? Like asthma causing right. um, emissions, particulates that, you know, affect us as people. But back then weren't measured the same way as emissions, you know, harming the environment. Yeah. And so these days, uh, especially in Canada and North America, you can't really get diesel engines anymore, except for in like pickup trucks and like, you know, the Cadillac Escalade comes with a diesel all engine. The, if all you of want. the like the all of GM's full-size SUVs so like the Yukon the Suburban right the, any of those and the Cadillac Escalade you can choose yeah. diesel or gas power but even on the Ford F-150 you know they discontinued their diesel engine a couple years ago so you can't get it on that um but here's where it makes a lot of sense for certain truck drivers and full-size SUV drivers is that diesel engines give you tons of low-end torque yeah which is fantastic if you tow a lot yeah it, it is really handy um that's 
that's the big one. And then also that the engines just don't have to work as hard. So they're more efficient while towing. So it's that kind of double whammy of like, they, they have that grunt, that, that the guts that you need to get rolling and then to stay rolling, they just run, the engine speed stays lower than a V8 uh, gas engine. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think on a lot of GM's uh, trucks and SUVs, the diesel is like a no cost option. Yeah, it can be. It depends on the the trim. It's like right. the, I think so. If you if you look at like the suburban high country or whatever, the top trim, I'm pretty sure it's a no cost. But that's because you're, you know, it's built into the price yeah. that you're getting that 6.4 liter V8. Um, so it's like you know, basically swapping out one upcharge for another um Uh, but but yeah big big fan of diesels for those kind of purposes they make a lot of sense and like heavy heavy trucks like of course you know three quarter ton and one ton trucks they still make a lot of sense again because you're you know if you're towing and hauling um you know if you like let's say you run a farm and you're just you know moving bales of hay and all that good stuff like you need something that has that 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 grunt. Yeah, that output that's going to get the job done. Yeah. Um, and so basically, one other big reason why diesels never really took off here was Volkswagen's Dieselgate scandal. Yeah. So if you want to just briefly do like a Coles Notes explanation of what happened there. Yeah. So um, going back, when was that? 2015 or 2016? Um, Volkswagen got caught that it had been using these kind of like emissions defeat devices. Um, and it was caught by these researchers at a university that realized that when the vehicles were hooked up to the dyno that was used to measure, so, you know, the EPA uh, and Transport Canada, we have that five cycle fuel economy testing. So it runs it through these different scenarios for certain lengths of time. So this engineer, like pretty smart, person to figure this out was able to kind of have this device that would say oh we're on this emissions program so it would throttle back performance which would also throttle back emissions and then during normal driving you'd have maximum performance but like way more emissions than what was advertised Uh, and these researchers at this university figured out because they were doing testing based on actual driving Mm -hmm. not setting the vehicle up on a dyno and letting it run a computer program. Um, So they went to the EPA and said, uh, you might want to look into this. And it turned out that this was like, you know, all the way up the ladder at Volkswagen Group. People went to jail for this. But also, like, it's crazy to look and Yeah, I mean, Volkswagen was the biggest, um, you know, seller of diesel vehicles, uh, diesel passenger vehicles. globally i'm pretty sure but definitely in north america because not many other brands were doing it but like mercedes is a good example especially in canada um at that time every like the glc the gle like all the suvs in the lineup with the exception of the g-wagon the base engines in canada were diesel because the take rate was so high yep that it was just it was cheap and easy for Mercedes to just say, okay, all of these are diesel. If you want the gas version, you got to step up to this yeah, next trim. Yeah, I think BMW did that as well. BMW sold diesels. GM sold the, or um, yeah, the Chevy Cruze. Yeah. Eco diesel you could get. Um, Jeep had the Grand Cherokee as well as the Ram 1500. They both used that three liter 
diesel. Um, I remember like whatever Fiat Chrysler at the time had a huge problem. There was a stop sale order when all that, because they were like accused of cheating and it turned out it wasn't right. true. Um, but Mercedes, there was like, like just some rumors that, Oh, maybe there was some cheating going on there too. And then all of those quietly went away except for the three liter diesel from, uh, from FCA in the, in the Ram 1500 in the Grand Cherokee actually came back. They, you know, was able to prove that it wasn't anything yeah. wrong. But because of that whole scandal, the diesels, fallout, the oh fallout from that, like they just got such a bad reputation, which is really unfortunate because even though a lot of people were doing it, you know, legitimately, they still had to pay the consequences for this big, big scandal. So for many reasons, they weren't popular here. Um, and that's kind of the reason why I think diesels are for sure dead. Plus electrification so yeah. the the landscape doesn't look too good for diesel and especially also, in north america you know like you said with your car right it's like oh that you know your drive to new york got you like hybrid efficiency but diesel was the kind of de facto efficient option for automakers back in like the 90s right it was like oh yeah if you get a if you're a highway commuter get the yeah. jetta high or diesel but now like you know you can get bigger hybrids that are as efficient mm -hmm. as those, you know, small, small diesels. So I think like a RAV4 hybrid, if it averages like six liters per hundred kilometers uh, combined, but that's in city and highway driving. Plus it's got way more room than your golf, just as an example. Like For if we're sure. Comparing, yeah. It's you know, like way more practical. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing where, you know, diesel, it's like a knock against it is that you can't find it at every single gas station. Yeah. In, in Canada, it's, it can be a little tricky. I've had some stressful, same like road trips when you're, you know, on the road and you're like, okay, I've only got, you know, a hundred kilometers left and you go to the station and it doesn't have diesel and you're like, yeah. I don't know where the next one is. Like, But it's funny, during my road trip to New York, I was like actively looking just because I was curious, yeah. right? And almost every station that I passed by on my way had diesel. So I thought that was interesting. I'm not sure why, like maybe because of the popularity of trucks in like rural America. Could maybe? be, because it's the same in Alberta, right? Yeah. The, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of stations have diesel because, you know, there are so many diesel pickup trucks yeah. out there. Um, but yeah, I think it's like, it's a shame, really. It's a shame that, because I mean, one thing I look at, like, you know, more anecdotally, obviously we don't know for sure. Um, but I go, man, if that engineer who figured out how to, you know, put, put that defeat device in, if he or she would have just applied that same, you know, effort to actually making these engines more efficient, you know, we probably still would be able yeah. to buy diesels in cars that we can't anymore, yeah. including from Volkswagen. That's a that's a big shame. You know, if you could use that energy and knowledge and expertise to do good instead of yeah. instead of trying and to cheat. And then the <laughs> fact that Volkswagen was able to, um, so the, the, I'm sure a lot of you out there remember there was like this mass recall, um, and on these diesel gate vehicles, and then a fix was was made was approved by the government and then all of these cars including mine including yours yep. were fixed and then were were put on a buyback pro like so basically you could i think like paul reed took advantage of it a friend of ours um had a 20 i think might have been the same 
generation as mine, like a 2014 Golf wagon. diesel wagon, um, took the buyback because he they it's gave a great him, deal for him. All, yeah they gave him like almost what he paid for it back after yeah. driving it for for a couple of years, uh, and then once those cars were fixed, they were then resold. So like mine was a buyback car. Yeah, mine I believe was also a buyback car and I got a great deal on it. I bought it secondhand, but I got a great deal on it. Um, yeah. And it's been serving me really well, so. Yeah, I, every t I always think about it. It's like, man, what a shame that we lost that, you know, again, for like that highway cruising, especially. It's just like, it was such a great option for people. I really love mine and I kind of like, you know, yeah, it's quieter. This isn't like a like an '80s or '90s diesel anymore, but I still like the kind of charm of like the clattery sound and like you know the the compression. You know, because that for those of you who don't know, that's how the combustion works. Because there are no spark plugs, um, it compresses the air fuel mixture to the point where it explodes on its own. There's no, that's why diesels sound the way they do because there's no, the explosion isn't sparked by a literal spark. It's it's caused by just compressing those, those atoms, whatever, like so, or those molecules so much that they eventually explode on their own, um, which is why they sound the, the way they do. And I don't know, there's some, there's like a charm about it, in my opinion. I think they're very charming. And just the efficiency part for me is what really gets me. I'm a really big fan of that. Um, but you also, do like a bargain. I know. I love you know, a coupon. So you're like, hey, I love if saving I can, a couple bucks. That, the diesel is, is the coupon that you drive. It's you're true. You're like, look, I'm getting a thousand kilometers to a tank. Oh, it's so good. Um, and both of our cars are also manual diesels, yeah. which make them even more like rare. Yeah, I really enjoy the drive experience and just like, cause yeah, it's not about performance. You're not like heel toe downshifting in it, but it's just, there's some like that, the engine braking. So that again, helps with efficiency and stuff. You're, you know, it's, I, I don't know. I just love it. Yeah, it's great. We're big fans. Um, if any of you have questions about diesels or bad experiences or good experiences, you can email us at expert at trader.ca. And before our ask an expert segment, here is a message from our overlords. Save time and money by using AutoTrader, Canada's most trusted place to buy and sell new and used cars. AutoTrader has the most cars and one of the best features is price badging so you can feel more confident that you're getting a good deal. So for this episode's Ask an Expert, we have two questions from our buddy Maroon from Yay, Montreal who is our loyal listener. Um, this one's really funny. Um, so, first one. Thanks for reading my last email. By the way, I played that part of the podcast to my wife. We laughed pretty hard because I'm a man and you kept referring to me as a she, but we had a good kick out of it. <laughs> first of all, I'm so embarrassed and I'm so, so sorry that we made that mistake. It is never my intention to misgender anybody and I'm so embarrassed. So sorry, Maroon. <laughs> but thank you for having such a good sense of humor about it. Um, the second half of Maroon's question is, uh, ever since buying my EV, so a little bit of backstory, uh, he bought he bought a Tesla Model 3 and has been really enjoying it. Um, so ever since buying my EV, I'm now on the lookout for another EV, possibly within the next couple of years. A friend mentioned Fisker. Have you had the chance to drive a Fisker and what do you know about it? I have not. So we're talking the new, so there's this weird, like Fisker was a car 
I don't know, right when Tesla was kind of on the up and up, um, there was a lot of talk about the Fisker and it was a sedan and then the company kind of felt, and I remember it being really cool. It had like a solar roof it was and it really was like, cool. and, and I think the styling was, was super cool. And then there was this weird, um, the company went under. There was and, some like financial issues or yeah, something. Yeah. And so this other company that Bob Lutz, who for any of you who are kind of auto industry, you know, watchers or historians, Bob Lutz is like a pretty big uh, figure, like larger than life guy, worked, you know, across many, many businesses. He was responsible for like, remember Merker, Ford's weird brand that came to North America yeah. in like the 80s, 90s. That was like his, because he, he saw the the escort the kind of performance escort in Europe and thought, well, let's try to launch it. Kind of, it was like almost like Scion before Scion. Right. It was like targeting like a younger buyer, something different. It didn't work out. But anyways, the guy was super cool, but liked to try new things. And one of those new things that he liked to try was buying a bunch of those old Fisker bodies and cramming like a corvette engine into them oh weird yeah Which and then like that totally not what they were meant yeah for. and i think that was his you know kind of middle finger to electrification yeah i mean and we... that well but sorry just to and to, to finish it up now fisker is back as the fisker ocean um and that i believe is what maroon is referring to right and i mean it looks like a cool car it's yeah. got tons of range we've never driven one so nope. we don't unfortunately can't really answer your question um but I think it's it's one to watch. I think in terms of like brands that are kind of coming back to life as electrification becomes more mainstream, yeah. I think that's one to watch. I just, you know, I have a hard time with with all of it, with yeah. all of these like startup brands like, you know, yeah, Tesla has been a, you know, a success story for electrification as a whole, um, for for getting to kind of normalizing it, making people realize it's it's an acceptable technology mm -hmm. it works um but you know if you take a look at the landscape like lordstown which you drove that weird pickup truck mm -hmm. um has filed for for bankruptcy protection um there's been a lot of these we talked about this before what's the deal with these i don't remember a yeah. handful of episodes ago um fisker i think would fall under that like even in my opinion you know rivian is on that list the prove it part hasn't happened like right. yeah you know proof of concept of course they they you know took took a vehicle you know used all the money that was generated during you know the 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 filings um the ipo made all this money built production vehicles but then the rollout has been like a trickle and there have been problems you you know bumped into some kind of you know, issues that when you talk to their engineers, you liked the accessibility and the fact that they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're looking into that. But it's like, is that what you want? You know, we, we talked about VinFast the same way, mm -hmm. right? It's like, would I want to be first in line to buy a vehicle that still needs so much uh, fine tuning and refinement? Probably yeah. not. But it, it's also like, you know, what happens when you need to get your car serviced and there's yeah. like one dealership in your whole province that you can't access? Like those yeah. kinds of logistical issues I would I would uh, think about when you're considering these like very new startup brands. Because if you take a look at, you know, legacy automakers, right? For example, during the recession when Saturn and Pontiac were shut down and saw those as part of the the kind of wind down 
agreements, um, there were contingencies and GM had to say, yes, we will, you know, continue to um, provide recall notices and work. Because recalls, uh, that that is outside of like a warranty, that is a defect in the vehicle that a manufacturer has to correct, right? So if you take a look at the ignition switch scandal with GM, that was something that, you know, yeah, these cars, that wasn't part of the warranty, but it was dangerous. GM had to replace those, those ignition cores. If Pontiac is no longer a brand, right? There's still an onus on the company that made those mm-hmm. vehicles. What I fear with these kind of startups is that where do they go? They, they, you know, they could. Yeah, like if they shut down, because there's no parent company, right? Like yeah. if they shut down and have to remove all their physical locations, what happens, yeah. right? So that that worries me a little bit, but um, it, that's not to say that they won't figure it out. Like they still no. have a bit of time. I'm just, but yeah, I, I'm skeptical of, you know, anything that costs that much money. I wouldn't want to be, and yeah, sure. Okay. You could say that I probably would have said the same about Tesla, um, a decade ago and, and look now, or more than a decade right. ago and look now. Sure. That is true. Uh, call me cautious. I just wouldn't want to gamble with, you know, my money and my, my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's good advice. I am. Um, yeah. And so Maroon has another question okay. here. Uh, I heard your most recent podcast where you discussed how Tesla drivers never use their turn signals. I've spent the last 13 years residing in Bahrain and Dubai, and I can say you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) Signals are seldom used there. A three-lane roadway in Cairo, Egypt can quickly be expanded to four and occasionally five lanes during rush hour. But as a Tesla driver, I use the signals and go five kilometers an hour faster than the posted speed limit. But Maroon, that's because you're a smart guy. That's your smart guy, Uh, yeah. It's definitely... You know, obviously, it's it's more anecdotal than anything that we like to, you know, kind of point that out. Same with BMW drivers. Um, we know there are good drivers, including yourself, uh, regardless of, of brand. You care about safety of yourself, of your family, of others. Um, but I've been to places where, yeah, the same thing. Like, I, speaking of VinFast, going to Vietnam, and I remember as a pedestrian, like there are no, or not, I, I don't want to say no intersections and crosswalks. They're just like, it's not like, you know, a typical North American street. And I remember going and walking down the sidewalk and we were trying to get across the road to this park. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of, one of the guys I was with, um, he was like, dude, you just have to walk. And he's like, they'll kind of figure it out and work around you. Because that's the same thing. Like the traffic there, you know, there's no lights and it's just like cars and scooters are zipping around. You just have to be decisive and and just hope for the best. Oh, man. But it's funny. So I was in uh, Morocco a couple years ago and I asked one of our cab drivers, like, why is it so crazy here? Because it was the the driving there was insane and so scary. And he was like, you know, basically you're only responsible for what happens in front of you. Like you, you do not have to pay attention to whatever is happening behind you, which means that no one was signaling, no one was checking blind spots. Like it was a really scary place. But if you've grown up around that, you're kind of just like used to how it works, which, which is funny. It, but I remember, I just want order. (laughs) I remember going to Taiwan like 10 or 11 years ago. And it was like this wild, just like there were lights and stuff but it was like the lights weren't indicating like you know yellow red and then green in the other direction it was like as soon as the light started to change that's when cross traffic would start to move and it's just like it's 
chaos. And yeah, you're right. I mean, if you if you grow up in that environment, you kind of get used to it because that's the way it is. But like, man, I just you know, to so me, scary. safety and like you know. I just, yeah, I it's there are certain countries I just won't drive in because I mean I didn't even drive to in New York City because that scares me. I can't imagine how much crazier it would be in like Bahrain or Dubai. Yeah. It's nuts. Um but anyway, here's a second part of that question. Okay. My inquiries unrelated to how drivers behave. Currently, the cost of owning an EV prevents everyone from doing so. Will EV prices gradually drop as the market becomes uh, gradually more swamped with EVs starting in 2024 and beyond? Great question. I do yeah. think that um, in order to get more people on board with EVs, they had to be kind of the same price as gas-powered cars. And you're right. Next year, that is going to start to happen. Uh, you know, uh, GM is coming out with a couple very affordable new EV crossovers. You know what bothers me though? And you know, I know this is kind of unrelated, but if you look, sure, GM is, you know, Chevy is coming out with the with the Blazer EV and that's cool and whatever. But then Chevy also is discontinuing the Bolt and the Bolt EUV, yeah, which, which were more so affordable. affordable. So it's like, and I get it, you know, these brands, they, they, you know, for a long time, it was about who's losing money. Are you losing money building EVs? There have been rumors about brands losing money and whatever, but it's like, I think that affordability in the auto industry in general is evaporating. I've said this before, Absolutely. EVs are only going to make it worse. I think we need new technologies like solid state batteries, Yep. That, but that's, we're still at least probably five to seven years away from those becoming a reality. Yeah, for sure. But I do think that as there's more competition around, uh, automakers will have no choice but to at least have more competitive pricing. And we saw it with Tesla, you know, you know, five years ago, Tesla was the only option for EVs. And yeah. now that there's so many other options, they've dropped their prices a little bit too. So it's also like volume based, yeah. right? When you, if you can sell, you know, a hundred thousand EVs as a small brand, um, all of a sudden you have, you know, buying power with your, with your suppliers. Um, so you can pass those savings along to consumers, or yeah. at least you should in order to get more people into it. I don't know about next year, to be honest with you. I think that's still too soon to see so affordability, um, really come into focus. Like I said, I think the technology has to become more affordable before we see that because ultimately, you know, automakers want to make money. Um, they want to keep their margins where they are, if not higher. So taking a haircut on, you know, every EV you sell is fine right now, but there's always, especially cause these are, you know, publicly traded companies, right. And, and they, they have shareholders to answer to, which is a whole other, you know, conversation, but regardless, I think we're still a little way away from affordable electrification. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and then our final question comes from Jim from BC, who is looking to buy a PT Cruiser he saw on the Auto Trader Marketplace. Okay. So I live in BC, Canada, and I'm looking at an older 15-year-old car from Toronto, which I may buy with the following answers to my question. Okay. The only caveat I have about the vehicle is whether it was winter-driven in Ontario, i.e. would it be rusty from salted roads? How can one approach this issue? Good question. So I would say, I would assume that it was winter driven because yeah. it's not like a super collectible or very rare car. Yeah. So it's it's reasonable to assume that a person would have used it in regular day life. But I would just ask, you can message that person and ask like, honestly, I would just want to know I'm interested in your car. Did you drive it in the winter? What's the condition look like? Did you rust proof it? 
Um, I'd pro. I I know this probably isn't the advice you're looking for, but I'd probably steer clear uh, because yeah, that era of cars in general. It's not a knock on you know Chrysler. Just like look at them. Like if you can find one outside of a place like BC where you know salt isn't used on the roads. If you look here, you know in Michigan and New York State, like they're they're maybe not quite Swiss cheese, but they're pretty. <laughs> pretty rusty and so yeah bringing one into bc you might run into some issues that obviously you're not going to get your money back on so i'd i'd approach cautiously i'd maybe wait and try to find one in bc or even alberta uh, which would not only be closer to you um, but also would just there's a better chance that the body is in better condition than one that you would find in ontario Perfect. Thank you, Jim and Maroon, for your questions today. We really appreciate all your support. Um, yeah, and if any of you have questions that you'd like to ask Dan or I, you can email us at expert at trader.ca. And that wraps up this episode. So thank you so much for joining us. Drive safe, and we'll see you next time. Bye, guys.